Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at San Diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. What's up? This your boy, Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Within the close-knit world of global gastronomy, Red Zeppi is a figure whose influence might be compared to that of David Bowie's in music in the 1970s, or Steve Jobs in technology in the 1980s, or Beyonce's now. He is the chef behind Noma, a restaurant in Copenhagen that has, for those who follow and chronicle these things, changed the way people think about food. Writers have a habit of referring to Noma as the best restaurant on earth that may or may not make Red Zeppi, by hyperbolic extension, the greatest chef alive. Red Zeppi was expected to fall in line with his mentors and cook French classics, and for a while he did. Soon, though, Red Zeppi had the epiphany that his food should not only be made with but entirely shaped by what he found in the forest, on the beach, and in the hands of local farmers. In practice, this meant that berries ripe for a mere two weeks a year and plucked by a Swedish farmer uninterested in selling them were more luxurious than imported caviar. He served them in a bowl with minimal adornment. He made terroir, the soil, the climate, and the land that shape the flavor of the plant and animal that eats it, more than jargon. He made it the entire point of his cuisine. That was an excerpt from the book Hungry, Eating, Road Tripping, and Risking It All with the Greatest Chef in the World. It was written by my friend, author, and Esquire food and drink editor, Jeff Gordonier. Jeff is one of my favorite food writers. He's really smart and he's a really engaged listener. In other words, he's a great writer because he's a great observer. So when he decided to turn his attention to Rene Redzepi, I knew it would be a worthwhile read. We started today's episode with that excerpt to provide some context about Redzepi and the so-called Nordic food movement. If you're a food person, almost certainly you're aware of his influence, but if you're not, understanding the movement that he helped create will contextualize a style of food from aesthetic to ethos that has permeated fine dining kitchens, the minds of impressionable chefs, and also their Instagram feeds for more than a decade. And now on the other side of the acclaim and influence, Noma's alumni are a distinguished brigade unto themselves a gaggle of successful independent restaurateurs and food professionals who were born of this movement and, in some cases, as with David Zilber, gone on to lead his own siloed movement, or, in the case of Matt Orlando, gone on to open an acclaimed restaurant of their own. 
We'll hear from both of these gentlemen today. But whether or not the conversation of New Nordic is a belabored one isn't really a question. Really, the question is, what do we call the movement that spawned from the New Nordic food movement? Today on Point of Origin, it's the new New Nordic. But before we we talk about this moniker of New Nordic, I want to back up and give some context to people who might not know what it is that we're talking about. So can you just tell people at the onset of the so-called New Nordic cuisine what it is and why it was characterized that way? Well, New Nordic cuisine, when it was first kind of conceptualized, was a kind of a mantra, or should I say a manifesto, that a bunch of chefs from Scandinavia came up with basically saying that they were going to stop looking south for inspiration and they were going to start looking inwards, basically what was around them. And why that concept in itself is not new in the cooking world, at that moment in time, the idea of actually cooking from the ingredients that existed in Scandinavia was very foreign even to most of the chefs cooking in Scandinavia at the time. You might hear the word manifesto tossed around. It's less weighty than it sounds, but basically it was a living document conceived in 2004 when 12 Nordic chefs got together and signed a sort of declaration of independence for regional food. I'm not going to go through all the tenets, but it basically covers stuff like purity, regionality, and seasonality. I mean, when I first moved to Denmark in 2005, every fine dining restaurant was an Italian or a French restaurant. And all inspiration was coming from Italy, France, and Spain. And so the idea of having a restaurant that was only using ingredients from Scandinavia, people thought we were crazy. That's Matt Orlando. He is a prominent chef and owner of a mass restaurant in Copenhagen and also broaden and build a brewery, which is just a few steps away from the restaurant. Orlando started at Noma in 2005, just a year after it opened. So in other words, before it was Noma. Here he is describing the experimental vibe of the early days. We're crazy. I mean, I started at Noma about a year after they opened. So it was very new, very experimental, not only in the way we were cooking, but just the ideology of, of in the direction we were trying to go. It was a very exciting time. It was, we were in uncharted waters constantly. And at that moment in time, when I got there, people were still kind of making fun of what was happening at Noma at that time. I mean, to put it in context, when I moved to Denmark in 2005, at the very beginning of this whole kind of movement, I mean, I, I felt like I stepped into a a wonderland of ingredients, stuff I had never worked with before, stuff stuff that now is quite commonplace because this whole movement has really put a lot of ingredients that people had overlooked or thought as not really interesting into the limelight, and now they're quite sought after. I, I had come from the background where, you know, manipulating ingredients into something was kind of always the goal, whereas there was so much respect for the ingredients that we were we were using at the time at Doma. And it was this really natural way of cooking, kind of letting the ingredients guide you as opposed to taking an ingredient and manipulating. It was just a really amazing time to be in Scandinavia in those, those first few years. One of the things that stuck with me from my talk with Matt is how the movement transformed not just fine dining, but also the entire food system in Denmark. And so when I put a mask, I started approaching a lot of our farmers saying, hey, why can't we grow this? Or why can't we grow this? And over the last six years, we have been able to start growing things in the capacity that we can use them at the restaurant. We have developed vegetables. An eggplant that's grown in Scandinavia is going to say it's way different than an eggplant grown in Italy. You can't grow the same species of eggplant 
that you can in Italy, you have to find one that's a bit more adapted to the cold, can handle temperature swings. So, so over the last years, we've been finding the particular species of different vegetables that will thrive in this environment. And we're growing with our farmers amazing cucumbers, tomatoes, eggplants, all this stuff. And now that's catching on. And now that's becoming part of Nordic cuisine, which before, if you ever put a tomato on the menu, you would have been strung up and it was crazy and just, just ridiculed by people. So it's evolved a lot in that sense in what ingredients are acceptable within the cuisine. Now the chefs that contributed to this manifesto really made a commitment to not only finding these ingredients and using them, but more importantly, really supporting the farmers and helping them to get these ingredients to the restaurants. And, you know, when I look back on it now and I look at all the, there's so many farms around Copenhagen that up until this massive restaurant movement and spotlight on Copenhagen, up until then, these farms, they were selling to big co-ops and grocery stores and they were producing amazing vegetables, but they were producing them on a bigger scale and the people that were consuming them didn't really have a whole lot of respect for what these farms were doing. If you look at the majority of those farms now, they only produce for restaurants. And that's how big of a switch it's been. They only produce for restaurants and they only produce for restaurants that really respect the ingredients that they're producing. So I think it was, it was a massive commitment from this, this group of chefs at the beginning to really embrace this because they, I mean, this was not the easy way to go about cooking at all. At what point at Noma in your tenure there, did you realize this restaurant that people were making fun of in the early days was actually at the cross section of the most important international food movement that was happening? Uh, I realized it the day I stepped in the door there. My world was flipped upside down and I just became completely obsessed with the process of cooking and the science behind it and to a molecular level. And somewhere along the line, obviously what's new is destined to become old. And now we find ourselves, as you said, 14 years down the line. And yet we're still talking about new Nordic cuisine and other chefs and alumni like yourself have gone on to make their own names and really deep impressions in the global restaurant culture as well. So how are you grappling with the nomenclature of new Nordic cuisine in light of the fact that we're moving on to our almost second decade of this? If you look at the religious background of this part of the world, it's primarily Protestant. And in the Protestant religion, food is not something to be enjoyed. Food is a thing of substance. So there has never been this deep history of food because food has never been a priority in this region of the world in regards to enjoyment, like it is in France and Spain and Italy and stuff like that. So this way of thinking in this region of the world is new. And so that new part of the title has had a place at a certain moment in time. And I get asked often, like, why, how do you think Nordic cuisine has been able to retain its time at the top of influential cuisines in the world? And the, the answer is simple, is that unlike other cuisines, because we don't have this, like, really, like, rich food history here, we don't have rules that we have to follow culturally. And so the cuisine itself keeps evolving. And if I look at how people were cooking here in 2005 and then look at how the next generation of chefs are cooking now in Scandinavia, I mean, it's a different thing completely. And there are things that were important then that aren't important now. And there were rules set out by this manifesto that have become obsolete. And this whole next generation of chefs coming through have really challenge what Nordic cuisine is because you have so many foreigners coming 
to this region of the world to cook. And the majority of the people running the restaurants in Copenhagen are not from here. The global influence of the Nordic food movement can't be overstated because so many chefs themselves are the ones that are constantly reinforcing its importance in their own lives and in their own careers. In Point of Origin episode two, we heard Geisli Grimson from Saltwerk in Iceland saying this very thing. Yeah, so basically uh, the new Nordic food scene, which is brought to the world by many people uh, in, in Scandinavia, but most notably probably Renaret Sappi and the team at Noma, it kind of opened the eyes of, of many Icelandic chefs to to be proud of what is surrounding us. So, I mean, I, I can say I started working in the restaurant industry about like 10 or 11 years ago, and then people wouldn't be using seaweed that is growing around. They wouldn't be kind of really, they would be more proud to use kind of black truffles from Italy or, or, or these kind of like Italian parmesanos or this like prosciutto cut ham and all of that, because nobody kind of was super proud of Icelandic food traditions. And in episode 11, we heard chef Michael Elegdebe talking about how it was the power of the story that Red Zeppi and Noma were able to help craft that made it so influential. In other words, not just amplifying the influence of the food itself, but also even how we talk about the food. Um, and... What I've learned from a lot of the chefs are the stories they tell. They get to tell the story of their cuisine, of their food, of their people through the art that they have and through the art that they exhibit. Even chefs that I didn't work with, like Rene Rizepi and Alex Atala and Massimo Butura, how their approach towards their cuisine have changed the world's perception for Renee, no one looked at Scandinavian food as, you know, anything more than potatoes and, you know, carrots. And now the Nordic cuisine is being revered. And it's because of that representation and the stories that are told behind the food, the people and the tradition. That was Matt Orlando, chef and owner at Amass and Broaden and Build Brewery in Copenhagen. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com.
I'm late. I'm late. Three very important dates. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Welcome back to Point of Origin. Today, our special guest is Chef David Zilber, who is the fermentation guru at Noma, or more formerly known as the Director of Fermentation at Noma. He is also the author of the essential book on fermentation called The Nopa Guide to Fermentation, and we are pleased to have him join us today. David, thank you so much for joining us on Point of Origin. Uh, Thank you for having me. Of course. Pleasure to be here. Of course, of course. I ended up in Copenhagen because I was fascinated, like I think many people are, uh, in the world of food about restaurant Noma. So I shot off a letter to Denmark and they snatched me up. That was in 2014, in the spring. Yeah, I worked in the main kitchen for about a year and that was very much a shock coming from my little provincial country of Canada to the big leagues of, you know, European Mission Star, 50 best list restaurants. But I stuck with it and kept my head down and tried to work hard. And about a year into my time there, um, you know, Renee and Dan Juicy, the old head chef, sat me down and said, you know, they had plans for me and they wanted me to start working in a fermentation lab. That's kind of a senior position. When David Zilber reached out to Noma in 2014, Noma was already very much a thing. Part of its enduring influence then and even now has been the team's ability to attract and retain talent. Like Matt Orlando said, Most of the folks in Noma's kitchen aren't from Denmark. That can be credited in part to Red Zeppi's investment in R&D. After a year and a half at Noma, Silber was promoted and now holds the position of Director of Fermentation, which is one of the most distinguished in the field. I've always been a really nerdy guy. You know, like, I never went to university. I barely scraped through high school, but in my own private life, you know, I'd always had this thirst for knowledge. I spent, you know, way too much time on Wikipedia or, you know, just picking up science nonfiction books on my own. And that's, that was for a long time kind of my form of relaxation outside of the kitchen and my form of entertainment. And by the time I got to know at the age of, what was it, I was like 27 or 28, like there'd been enough kind of under my belt by that point, mm-hmm. just in terms of my own private reading, that I just had the capacity to explain a lot of things that maybe other books in the kitchen might have taken for granted. You know, one one kind of token example, one day the bone marrow wasn't doing so well, and then I had to explain, oh, well, you know, the fat inside marrow is an interlinked layer of cells that contain water, so if you dehydrate it slightly before service, you remove that surface water and trap sugar molecules, which will help it caramelize better. Yeah, within a year, you know, I was I was being told that I'd start doing something else. And I'd never expected that. That's not why I arrived at Noma. But it was kind of like one of these life-changing moments where you're like, oh, this, this could lead to some really amazing opportunities for me. But I'd also like to say that, you know, like me ending up in the fermentation lab isn't necessarily rising to the top of this restaurant. Like there's a lot of people that make this place work. And, you know, there's amazing cooks like Meta and June in the test kitchen that have a creative talent that I feel I lack in some ways in, in terms of their decisiveness or their ability to explore flavors in this world. And their creativity is just, you know, they're, they're kind of like the leading forces in that kitchen. You know, maybe conceptually, I'm better suited to tinkering with fermentation and, and coming up with ingredients or building blocks. But in this restaurant, you know, there's no, there's no one cook at the, the top of the mountain. It's mm-hmm. like uh, between our head chef and our ingredient manager and the sous chefs, it, it takes a village. Noma has expanded its influence by attracting talents from outside of the food world, like anthropologists, molecular chemists, and agricultural scientists who work in its Nordic food lab. So when you hear David Zilber talk about the environment at Noma, from his perch as the now director of the fermentation lab, 
it was a really big deal for him to get that promotion. Do you think Noma, do you think of it as a restaurant? It is a restaurant. I mean, if that's what, how I had to define it, mm-hmm. I would say that it is. But it's very rare that I walk into a restaurant and also call it an institution. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's kind of also how I think about it. Um, when you moved into a role that was focused on fermentation, this is happening, I mean, you say maybe four or five years ago, concurrently with a moment nationally or globally, rather, where fermentation was coming not really back into fashion, but was being centered on restaurant menus. Mm-hmm. Can can you say or do you, can you theorize maybe why over the last couple of years it seems like the focus on fermentation has really been centered in, in restaurants all over the world? But I really do think it's less of a trend and more of an understanding. Like there is a deep comprehension that these things aren't out of reach for people. And as they explore them for themselves, they realize that it's powerful. And I don't think you can ever take that power away. That's not something you get bored of. Mm-hmm. You know, once you make it and you have it on hand, you're cooking with it forevermore. So, yeah. Because once you can focus on what's within your boundaries, you can then be free to kind of look outside them and say, okay, now I can take inspiration from other places and then translate that to where I am and make it make sense for me. And that's exactly what we've done with the fermentation program from the get-go. From those first investigations on the houseboat that was the Nordic Food Lab, these were a bunch of very curious and passionate cooks that were just looking abroad for inspiration and trying to translate that to the terroir of, of, of their current locale. And in doing so, you end up with a deep understanding. You're not just learning by rote. It, it takes a profound picking apart and understanding of the inner machinations to, to build something back up that is completely new. So it's definitely exploded and expanded and the amount of restaurants that would definitely fall under that cachet has grown many times over, but it's still there. And even though, even at Noma, you know, we might cook with olive oil here or there, get our seaweed from Japan and truffles from Australia and kind of trace our footsteps through our travels, it doesn't feel like we're any less about celebrating the region that we're in or coming up with flavors that make for a distinct cuisine. So I think it's as valid now as it ever was, but um, it's also matured, you know, and it, it's grown beyond that kind of boyish naivete about making your mark on the world that maybe got it to come about in the first place. And I definitely think it's kind of aged into a really amazing place where you have all of these amazing restaurants with Michelin stars producing, you know, whole generations of talent I'm curious how, you know, stories like yours of chefs coming from different parts of the world for the Noma experience and then, you know, in many cases moving on to start their own restaurants or even in the cases where they stay, how much Mm -hmm. has the worldliness of the staff over the years uh, impacted the cuisine at Noma um, and in Copenhagen as well? The influence of, of like a multinational kitchen has impacted Noma incredibly profoundly. I no offense to the Danes, but back in Canada, I mean, we have First Nations people, we have Aboriginals, but this in Denmark, you know, this is where white people come from. And so it's a fairly homogenous society mm-hmm. by its nature. But as Noma kept growing, I mean, the amount of Danes that represented the kitchen kind of dwindled as it attracted world attention and it became a, uh, an attractor for, um, you know, top chefs around the world, kind of siphoning off the creme de la creme of that crop. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. 
So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. I'm late. I'm late. Three very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from undercover tourists. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from undercover tourists and authorized seller and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with undercover tourists now and save. UndercoverTourist.com so when it comes to new nordic food we talk a lot about farms and ingredients and sourcing and even though conceptually we understand these things it all feels and sounds kind of nebulous so we wanted to talk to a chef who was influenced by the new Nordic food movement, not necessarily from having worked in the kitchens at Noma or like restaurants in Copenhagen, but having observed the style of cooking from afar and let it infuse their own. So we talked to chef Jeremy Charles, who is considered to be one of the very best chefs in Canada. And we're talking to chef Charles about a cod. And I think in the way that we discuss the utilization of the fish, you will hear with a lot more specificity the philosophical and gastronomical role of New Nordic food in his own. So while obviously Noma did not invent utilizing local fish in its entirety, there is something about the surrounding ideology presented by Chef Charles through this Michelin star lens, which I think will help people understand how the new Nordic style has really rippled outward. So here is Chef Jeremy Charles. We're here at Rifflin Hitch Lodge, uh, an incredible fishing lodge in a state in Labrador on the Eagle River, which I think you can hear in the background. And uh, I'm here with one of Canada's most renowned and celebrated chef, Jeremy Charles, today. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> thanks for hanging out. Oh, thanks for having me. I mean, uh, what a beautiful spot to be. I grew up uh, in St. John's, which is the capital of Newfoundland and Labrador. I spent a lot of my summers uh, in a small fishing village with my grandmother and grandfather. Yeah, it was a place where they lived off the land, you know, they grew their gardens, they ate from the land and sea, picked berries. And, uh, you know, as a kid, I spent a lot of time down on, on the wharf, cutting out cod tongues and really being exposed to the traditional ways and roots of Newfoundland, you know, and uh, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my grandparents cooking a lot of traditional meals. You know, we'd go out picking berries and come back and make a beautiful pie and, and uh, again, going down to the wharf and you know, bringing up two codfish and splitting them with my grandfather on, on a rock in front of the house and using all the parts of the codfish. You know, it wasn't just the, the boneless, skinless loins. It was, you know, busting down the cod's head and taking out the cod tongues and, and uh, the napes and, and just using the whole fish and celebrating the whole animal. You know, all the, the remains went back into the garden to help fertilize the gardens. There was nothing that, that went to waste. And, and um, you know, they were... They were eating organically before the word organic really meant anything to people, you know, that generation of people. My grandmother's 92 right now, and she's still making bread and <laughs> buns, and it's, uh, it's so inspiring, and, and uh, it was, that was just the way of life. That's how people lived in Newfoundland. Can you tell us a bit about what napes are for the listeners who might not be familiar? Yeah, the cod napes, well, it's our way of saying the, uh, the, the fins, the collar of the codfish. And uh, we'd cut those out, and they're almost like the uh, the chicken wing of the codfish. They're so beautiful and 
so much gelatin and they're just something you pick up in your hands and you get tucked into it you know it's uh it's uh yeah it's it's probably the best way to describe it <laughs> and i understand it's one of your favorite parts of the car too yeah i mean a lot of people again at market and stuff are just buying boneless skinless cod and you see people boning out fish and you know they take off the loins and the whole fish goes over the side or in the bin it's just like my god you know there's so much to a codfish more than just the just the uh the loins so uh when we're breaking down cod we're yeah you use the napes and the tongues and the cheeks the heads and we use the sounds which are the the sound ballast of the fish and um yeah it's uh you know for for newfoundland that's the whole reason why People came to Newfoundland was for the codfish. You know, when when you say the word fish, people just assume you're talking about codfish, and cod is king and always will be. You know. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the role that cod played over the last few centuries here, uh, and up until the 1990s um, when the industry began to to decline here? Codfish was everything to Newfoundland and most a lot of parts of Labrador. I mean, um, the island was full of fishing communities all across the island and it sustained generations of people and you know we traded salt cod for molasses and rum and salt and you know we shipped cod all around the world spain portugal you know down the islands jamaica and um it was uh, such a an important resource and such an important part of our obviously culture and it's kind of ingrained in who we are and um the whole idea is, is to celebrate again all the wild beautiful ingredients from land and sea. We're so fortunate here in Newfoundland, we're able to serve wild game, moose and rabbits and partridge and grouse and some of the most beautiful seafood in the world, scallops and sea urchin and obviously codfish and snow crab, lobster, uh, whelks, razor clams. (laughs) Uh, You know, the list goes on. But, uh, you know, for many years, a lot of those products were just like frozen or just shipped out of the province to Japan, New York, Boston, you know, China and Russia and, you know, uh, sea urchin or whelks or razor clams, you know, those were things I didn't see at my grandmother's table, you know, and, and people really didn't acknowledge those ingredients. And I was like, my God, you know, again, living in these big cities and seeing how prized these ingredients were to so many people, it was like, God, we have all this beautiful, beautiful things back home that are not being celebrate or put on plates so I, I was really excited when i did return home to start to showcase these ingredients that were really kind of um yeah not part of the culture not part of the diet you know and um yeah that was uh really really exciting for sure you know the, you're only as good as your products and when you have beautiful products you just try to keep it simple and showcase those things but those relationships are a big part of it and it's not just ordering off a an order sheet and you know cooking it's all about what goes into sourcing these ingredients and things we are able to tell you a story actually where the food is actually coming from you know and how it's been harvested and and what neck of the woods it's coming from and almost down to the individual yeah and that's all comes back to creating a sense of place and and uh for many years i don't think newfoundland really had a, a food identity shall we say you know we kind of got lost in uh lost in space i don't know we're an island in the middle of the atlantic ocean way out on the end of canada you know for for many years we were forgotten about and even when people talked about newfoundland they talked about fish and chips and deep fried food and you know everybody here didn't want any traditional foods they wanted everything else outside of the province you know and and um so i think it was about 10 15 years ago maybe things started to change you know i think you know, myself and Jeremy and a few other people were a big part of that, of bringing back, being proud of the ingredients around us and, and proud of the food and, and uh, really, again, going back to our roots, you know, and back to our root cellars and, and growing things in our gardens and showing people that it's okay to, to live off the land. It's okay to celebrate the things around you. It doesn't have to come from outside the province, you know. For many years, people always wanted stuff from outside and it was like nobody focused on other beautiful things we had and i think that comes back to you know education too especially with all the wild edibles here all the beautiful chanterelles and and all the wonderful things that are in the woods that are just at our fingertips that people had no idea about you know not many anyhow but uh yeah it's been it's been a great 
time to to be part of a definite food movement you know it's a wonderful culture here and it's a special place and i'm super proud to be to be home and to be able to come to places like this and spend time with friends and to fish and hunt and again live off the land and be with family Our last guest today, Chef Bo Beck, is one of the trailblazers of the Copenhagen food scene. He first made his name at restaurant Palschen, where he won a Michelin star. And in 2011, he opened up his restaurant Geist, where he's still the executive chef today. We're picking up with him speculating on how Danish culture might have been the key to understanding the formation of the Nordic food movement. Here's Chef Bo Beck. If you're born in Italy or Spain or France, which is the big countries in, in our part of the world, our continent, I, I bet that they're, they're under the spell of the mama culture, that your mama would look at them and say, my boy, don't you change the thing. You're beautiful, you're strong, you have the right genes. I bet it's the same here in America. But when you're born in Denmark, your mother looks at you with straight, honest eyes, very clear. She says, if you want to be anything, you got to learn. you got to learn language. Because you live in a country that only has six million people. No one understands your tongue. So if you want to accomplish anything, you got to open up your eyes. That's what you're being taught. Long story short, I think what happened was we were a group of maybe 20 chefs around that time. And this is because there's a group of chefs who were able to work across Europe without being paid and then eventually bring those skills from, in some cases, three Michelin star restaurants back to Copenhagen. And so now you have kind of the makings of a new food culture because you have a group of highly skilled and trained chefs who have just arrived back to Copenhagen in the early 2000s. Is that right? It might sound ridiculous, no pay, but it was very simple. Otherwise, you don't get inside the door. So how did you survive? You work at a cafe next there you do some shifts, you do a job as a dishwasher, you get enough to rent. The ironic positive side of it is you're working six days a week. You don't need clothes. I mean, uh, one set of clothes lasts a week. Uh, you, don't, you don't need food because you're eating at the restaurant. You talk about Nordic and, and the creation and the birth of it. The romantic story that I try and, and, and ex the way I try and explain it is, it's a little bit like a cat that gets lured up in the tree. It's not concerned about how it's going to get down again. It's just going for it. There's something that's more interesting up in that tree. And that's why it goes up there. Then there's no doubt about it that René, who everyone knows at Noma, was simply just a better translator of everything. He, by far, was better man at, uh, at setting up an organization around the whole thing and putting words to it and executing it. And boy, oh boy, has he changed it. And I couldn't be more proud of it. And it's, uh, it's as simple as that. You know, there's this line I always use, how can you miss something if you don't know it exists? René, made it exist so you would crave it Danish food the Nordic style approach has uh, a same strength in architecture as well it's a uh, very clean lines very understandable almost naked and when you work in such a visual and flavorful clear vision, it becomes much easier to understand the language. And I think it has many similarities to Japanese 
lifestyle and cooking. And uh, maybe the world was just begging for someone to open their eyes and it happened to be him or us, that group of people. And But there always need to be an, a face on something. And were you all talking to each other about a collective vision for the food that you wanted to cook? I think we talk about it, but not in the sense that you would hope that we would talk about it. We are friends. But what you all have collectively done has been transformative in that people are thinking about cuisine as something that is closely related to identity and the amount of pride and resourcefulness that uh, Renee was able to help articulate as a very visible and charismatic leader really inspired a lot of chefs around the world. And in turn, it brought a lot of people to Copenhagen and really has given Copenhagen this reputation and your restaurant is a big part of that as well. And so I wonder now that this thing that we didn't know we wanted to exist, it existed, it has thrived in such a way that now everyone is trying to create their own equivalent for their culture. What do you think about this movement that you helped build and what do you think about its utility in the future if at all if it needs to have a future given how far it's come uh, in the last let's say 10 or 15 years let me give an analogy of one of the big staples of america american football new england patriots either people hate them or they love them they have a guy a quarterback called tom brady and a genius also, Bill Belichick, you know, do your job. But the thing is, when the team starts out, they have to figure out how to work, how to play, how to make this happen. And then after that, all the other teams start studying them. What are their moves? What are their secrets? So what keeps them in the game for so long is their self-reflection of acknowledging we need to move we need to be in a movement as well we can't be static we can't celebrate our successes and that's i think one of the keystones to the survival of any great cuisine is that it's in movement that it's constantly evolving when you live inside the the, the forest you just see the trees. You don't see the forest. And you're just doing what you do. You guys, you see the forest because you're looking from a distance. As, as long as we just keep doing what it is we're doing, we will become relevant. And if not, so be it. It's not important. What's important is, one of my life mantras is, it's easier to remember the truth than the lie. And, and if, if you live a, a life like that, it's just so easy because you just got to do what you do. You don't have to be concerned. I think life gets complicated when you start doing what you think you should be doing because other people are telling you you should be doing this. So how should we regard the most influential international food movement of the last decade? As something that happened or is happening? What's unequivocally true is that Scandinavia is now very much on the map alongside France, Spain, and Italy as the most regarded cuisines in Europe, and in fact, among the very best in the world. The new Nordic movement spawned a very real and very robust hospitality industry, gastro-tourism sector, food artisans, and innumerable small farmers. The movement that we used to call New Nordic, now it's just Nordic. And I think more than anything, that pretty much says it all.
I'd like to thank our guests today, Matt Orlando of Amass and Broaden and Build, David Zilber, Fermentation Director at Noma, and Bo Beck of Geist, all in Copenhagen. Thanks to Chef Jeremy Charles of Raymond's and the Merchant Tavern in St. John's, Newfoundland. Special thanks to Simon Lavender, who created the music featured in today's episode. Special thanks to my business partner, who makes all things possible at Whetstone, our co-founder, Melissa Shee. Thanks, Mel. Thank you to Celine Glager, who is our lead producer, to Kat Hong, our editor, to Haven Obasalase, and Quentin LeBeau, our production interns. To our friends at iHeartRadio for helping us bring you this podcast, to Gabrielle Collins, our supervising producer, engineer JJ Posway, and executive producer Christopher Hasiotis. I'm your host, The Origin Forager, Stephen Satterfield, and we will be back here next week with more from Whetstone Magazine's Point of Origin podcast. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you on the hunt for a new home this spring, but don't know where to start? Fisher Homes is your solution. Your new home should reflect you from the front door to the kitchen and even your outdoor space. Start your journey by selecting your ideal home site, like in a cul-de-sac or that's tree-lined, and then choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans. Bring it all together at our Lifestyle Design Center. Let Fisher Homes be your new home solution this spring and start making memories at fisherhomes.com. I'm late. I'm late. Very important. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.